When you grow a garden with Schultz products, you reap a bountiful crop of benefits for your customer and your business. The signature dropper applicator allows you to feed every time you water. Just seven drops per quart of water delivers vital micronutrients every time you feed. Schultz Liquid Plant Food is available through hardware co-ops and lawn and garden distributors nationwide. For more information, go to knoxfurt.com Schultz. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is Dan Tronchek, and I'm sitting here with Dent Johnson, the Executive Vice President of Operations, and Nick Tallarico, the Executive Vice President of Sales and Marketing for Do It Best. Guys, thank you so much. Uh, uh, one, Happy New Year to you, and, and welcome to the program. I know you guys have a lot of stuff coming uh, down the pike here real soon, so I appreciate you guys taking the time out of your schedules to talk to our listeners. And 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 this probably might not be the first time you guys have heard this, but I, I it dawned on me that I'm interviewing uh, Nick and Dent. So if this wholesale thing doesn't work out, we can do an auto body like uh, podcast <laughs> okay. on auto body repair. And you guys got the name built in. There's so. <laughs> my dad joke out of the way for the, I love for the program. <laughs> I'm going to uh, use that with my kids tonight. <laughs> Perfect. Well, hey, guys, welcome to the program. And why don't we start... Um, since you guys are kind of in new roles with the organization, why don't you start and each one of you guys tell us a little bit about your history with Do It Best and kind of what you're doing in your current positions to kind of bring us all and all of our listeners up to speed on, on what you're doing. Uh, Dent, why don't you start us out? Yeah, sure thing. Uh, so as far as my background, Dan, I've been about five years here at Do It Best. Okay. Uh, most of that time responsible for the merchandising division. Uh, which, as uh, I think you know, included supply chain here over the last couple of years. Oh, so wow. It's been a uh, <laughs> Welcome very, to the party. Interesting, very interesting time to join the company. But um, prior to Do It Best, I spent about 23 years at Michelin Tire Corporation and ironically also involved pretty heavily in supply chain and uh, big infrastructure projects and uh, really setting our investment strategy for the tire business. So that's a lot about my background, but it heavily contributes to uh, the new role here as I'm also not only involved in merchandising, but IT as well as logistics and our continuous improvement function. Fantastic. Uh, uh, Nick, a little bit about your background. All right. Thanks, Dan. Uh, you know, my background with the company has been interesting. Actually, Do It Best was a client of mine back when I was in public accounting okay. for about three or four years. And then I came on with my finance background into the internal audit function, was a part of that and ran that uh, department for several years, five or six years. And then I decided to go into merchandising, what Dent was just talking about too. This was pre-COVID. So, you know, the supply chain issues weren't (laughs) quite the same magnitude. The the, uh, easy days. Oh yeah, the good old days. 99.6% fill rates. If if not (laughs) 99.7. So I was there for several years and then had an opportunity to uh, run the sales and business development team, which I did for just over five years until about a year ago today, actually, when we announced uh, a new e-commerce department, new e-commerce division, uh, which I was asked to run as a vice president of e-commerce, which I, I did until October. Uh, when both Dent and I accept these new these new roles. So my role is executive vice president of sales and marketing. So I have sales and business development as well as marketing, but I still have e-commerce uh, oversight as well as lumber and building materials. Okay. Well, let's talk about just briefly about the fact that, like you said, you guys have really kind of assumed these new responsibilities about a year ago. And, and a lot of folks in the industry, likely a lot of our listeners knew Steve Markley and, 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 and you guys kind of 
ascended into the new roles when, when Steve announced his retirement. So now that you've got a year kind of under your belts of, of working in these new capacities, how's it going? What is that, Nick? Well, uh, you know, Steve retired back in October. And I, I, maybe I'll just take a second because you did mention, Dan, some, a lot of folks in the industry knew Steve. Steve's a great guy. I had the privilege of working with Steve for seven or eight years and learned a lot from him. So it was kind of bittersweet, right? Here's a guy who's a mentor and a friend who made a big impact on this business and with our members' businesses that uh, don't get to see every day, but still keep in touch with them. I talked to him just the other day, as a matter of fact. So uh, it's been it's been great, uh, the opportunity to work with him. And I will also say, that's one of the things I love about Do It Best, is working with great people. And, you know, Dent sitting next to me is right in that group as well. Uh, in fact, we were joking right before this podcast started. We we were doing two podcasts a week for what a, a year and a half, two yeah. years, yeah. Uh, all relative to supply chain, making sure our members are up to speed on what's going on. So then I have a great working relationship together, and I think that's going to be great. We both have not as much breath as Steve did, so we're able to dive into our divisions uh, even more. And uh, with that good working relationship, I think there's a lot of good things that are going to happen. Yeah, I guess the only thing I would add, um, you know. I guess I'd echo mainly what Nick was saying about Steve. Really, I had a lot of direct uh, mentorship and leadership um, that he shared with me, especially as I was new in the industry. It was really vital to uh, try to understand and get up to speed very, very quickly. So couldn't really say thanks enough to Steve for how he uh, led us through that process. And then even during the transition, uh, really made for a smooth change for Nick and I. And I'm equally happy to work alongside Nick. I think, you know, the Last three or four years, we've been working together sort of hand in hand to really drive growth for our membership. Right. And I'm just really excited about what I think we can do in our new roles to uh, keep that going. Now, I, I mean, it, it, I, I think anybody can kind of uh, uh, understand that sometimes you're with an organization for a while, but when you step into a new role, kind of things occur to you or, or you see things or learn things that maybe you didn't realize before. What are some of the things over the over the last year that are kind of big takeaways for you guys about, oh, these are, these are things that uh, uh, either surprised you or you weren't sure about or some of the things that, uh, that, that have been impressed upon you over the last year? Well, I guess one thing I would start off by saying, and this is a benefit to do it best, we are a fairly flat organization. So there wasn't like a whole lot of stuff that's bubbled up that was like, wow, I did not expect that or I didn't know that. Right. And in our former capacities, we collaborate a lot with, with the other divisions. So there wasn't really anything that, that bubbled up that was unexpected, but we are definitely involved in areas that we haven't had a lot of, of you know intimate experience with. So there's a lot of you know, understanding and questions that we're having right now. Uh, but, you know, I I just personally believe that uh, the way that, that this role, the way that Dan, our president and CEO, split this role was really important for us to be able to dive in on some of the things to really tackle some of the big issues with our vice presidents and their teams. Yeah, I think we're taking on uh, a lot of big things all at once. And I, I guess that's what I appreciate the most is, uh, you know, Nick talked briefly about e-commerce. We talked about uh, our kind of an explosive level of growth we've seen over the last couple of years. Um, and we just see a myriad of opportunities sort of on all fronts. And so I really think, you know, my big takeaway is that uh, even though we've seen tremendous growth, even though we had a lot of important projects going on, there's really even more uh, coming down the pike. And so uh, what I'm happiest about is I think we've invested the organizational horsepower 
really double down going forward uh, with it really in a number of areas. Uh, in my particular case, you know, I think we have an opportunity to have even stronger coordination between sort of our technology infrastructure, our physical infrastructure with our distribution network, as well as our approach to serving members through both merchandising and the collaboration with sales and business development. So it's really excited sort of both about the past, but also more excited about the future and our ability to, to really attack. Well, with you two guys, kind of functional areas of responsibility. On one hand, you have sales, marketing, growth. The other hand, you have you have infrastructure, merchandising. So it's it's really working kind of hand in glove with, with areas of responsibility. And in the past, when we would talk about um, you know the, the the basic principles of of any kind of uh, uh, distribution, are you 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 find the product, the right product, you price it the right way, then you get it to the customer, then you then you help the customer sell that product. Over the last few years, that equation uh, has been a little bit more difficult um, for a variety of reasons. Some of those basic things that I'm sure we all kind of took for granted are, are, are now kind of, you know, to use an overused phrase, kind of this paradigm shift we've seen. So why don't you guys talk us through a little bit about what are the things you guys are doing right now to, one, help your members grow their businesses or to grow your member pool, but at the same time, how are you making sure that the infrastructure is there to support members, even in their current areas of operation, and also make sure that they're confident that we're going to have the infrastructure and support if we grow, that that we're, it's not going to hurt our businesses, it's going to help us over the long run. Maybe you guys could talk us through that a little bit. So maybe to set the stage first, Dan, I'll talk about fiscal year, calendar year. We're a fiscal sure. year yeah. company. So we're, although the calendar year, you said happy new year. In the beginning of the podcast, we're six months in to our fiscal year right now. And, and Dent said, uh, ex explosive level of growth. And we were in a meeting yesterday. We review uh, monthly financials is uh, CFO, uh, Dan, and the two of us every month, of course. <clears throat> and we were in the same room yesterday talking about the December results. And he throws up on the screen a line chart that had five or six years. And it was incredible to see that explosive level of growth graphed out where it was a seismic shift right. of sales growth over the last couple of years. So bear that in mind as I share some information six months into our fiscal year, because that momentum has continued. Six months in, we're two and a half billion dollars. Uh, we're beating our, what I would say, our aggressive growth plan for this year by over 4%. When we talk about warehouse and directs and lumber is our three levels of sales. And both warehouse and directs are strong this year, a strong year-over-year -year increases. And lumber is down, but you know what? We expected that. You, know, yeah. you look at the lumber pricing this time last year, it was about $1,500 a thousand, and we're down to $350,000, It wasn't tenable at the pricing. <clears throat> right. So we we actually budgeted for that to be down. But overall, our net profit is $85.3 million right now, over 10% up over prior years. So we're continuing that growth. And you mentioned it. It's really simple. Uh, from our seat and the sales side, it's how do we sell to more customers? We're a member-owned co-op. So we only sell to our members. So we have to grow our members. And calendar now, 2022, we had a record number of new members. You know, back when I was VP of sales, I was bragging on new membership levels. And then 
you know, they, I moved to e-commerce and then Greg <laughs> Fuller shows me how it's really done yeah. with 305 new members signed last year. And we're already over 13% above that this year to date. So we're already, you know, trending in the right direction for that as well. <clears throat> Second is selling more to existing customers. And our sales teams out there every day beating the streets, you know, hand-to-hand combat out there trying to grow sales at our member stores. And then you referenced the paradigm shift. And really, that's the third level, which is excellence at retail, because is the the membership, the independent home improvement hardware store, um, home center lumber yard, is they grow, so do we. That's why we're in business. We're in business for our member owners, not the opposite. And so we're focusing on things like store design or marketing efforts that we have, customized planograms. And this last couple of years, we launched uh, member profit generators as well, which are sales initiatives designed to grow member sales, gross margin, and ultimately foot traffic into their store. It's really a great offering at the right time for key departments with marketing efforts. So those are some of the things that we're doing to fuel growth. And I'll kind of piggyback on that and talk about investments, but maybe in a non-traditional sense. And I like the word you use. I think you use the word equations or you said it's pretty simple. Right. I would just say that we went from using the plus sign to the uh, multiplication sign (laughs) or maybe even the exponents. We've had to learn about exponential growth here last couple of years. One of the things that we've done to help uh, really uh, leverage that situation with our members is to help them get into new locations. Nick talked about, right. you know, 300 plus members. Uh, we have a program called Gear Up for Growth that includes things like rebate advances, preference share redemption, and considerable incentives, uh, both for new locations, but also major store improvement projects. So that's really what we're doing to invest in our membership. And that's been extremely popular uh, with our members because we're helping them expand their businesses at a pace they've never done before. Right. Uh, while this market is growing it in a way that, you know, my favorite word is unprecedented. So, you know, and, and Nick mentioned this briefly, to help our members at retail, we've obviously had to enhance our merchandising assortments to keep them relevant and to engage really what are in many cases new consumers, new footsteps into their stores But it's really all about getting the right brands, the right categories, the right price, all supported by enhanced analytics that we've developed over these last couple of years. So we have a program, for example, called Category Solutions that brings all that to the table at a very nice discount for our members. And those sales have exploded. They're up 35% this year, but really they're more than double what they were just a few years ago. So those are just some of the key investments we've been making in our membership. Dan, I would also say you're talking about getting new customers into member stores and going back to the e-commerce comment I I said earlier, you know, driving retail sales is also supported by that e-commerce initiative that we're working on. Last spring, a year ago, we announced major e-commerce initiative here at Do It Best, designed to put our members in an even stronger position, both in-store and online, with fully integrated point of sale and customer convenience at the forefront. This is a way of life now. I mean, Dan, when's the last time you bought something online? Uh, Probably within the last... 48 hours. Yeah. And, you know, I was just thinking about it. It's all over the place. I went and get carry out sushi the other night for our family. Did the whole thing. On, this is a local mom and pop sushi restaurant here in town. Went online on their uh, Web page, ordered, paid, walked in, got got the stuff and went back, went on our way. And the, what I think is great about hardware stores and home centers and lumberyards being on e-commerce, you get the, the customer in. 
And where I just went and grabbed my sushi and I left, there's a much better opportunity for add-on sales in the hardware space as well. So you come in and then you do what you always do with customers. You ask them, how can I serve you? How can I help you? What project are you working on? Do you have everything you need? I think there's a huge opportunity for add-on sales with those new footsteps coming into our members' stores. You know, Nick talks about sort of the glamorous side of the business. Let me tell you, okay, that's the nuts and bolts. We can probably uh, cut this part, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to, to really to sustain all of the growth that we're talking about and really to support our uh, the future that we have in mind, we've been making major investments in infrastructure. Uh, we've talked about some of those, and you mentioned them right out of the gate in the beginning of the podcast, Dan. But you know, we've we're kind of halfway through implementation of a next generation warehouse management system. We've got eight uh, distribution centers. We're about halfway done with getting that all updated and ready to go. Uh, we're also at the same time uh, developing a new distributed order management system that will be customer facing, as well as streamlining our core financial systems. We're doing all this at once. Uh, and these are really big generational type investments that we're making, not only to support the growth we already have experienced, we're really looking toward the future, uh, as I mentioned earlier, to sort of double down on growth. So, you know, our team's focus is to install these systems. And by the way, no one will know the difference. You know, right. they're only going to see the benefits. They're not going to see interruptions. That's yeah, really right. our mission. And uh, and then finally, I guess, uh, you don't grow sales, you know, 50, 70 or 80 uh, percent without needing a little bit of extra room. And so uh, we've made a big uh, start to an investment in our Woodburn, Oregon distribution center. We're going to increase the space there by over 50%. We've already broken ground on that project, and that's just one of a large number of investments we're making, both in technology, infrastructure, but physical space. In fact, over $100 million in investments in the near term to really make sure we're meeting our members' needs now and in the future, uh, sort of from the back office point of view. Excellent point. You know, and, and it's interesting that you guys mention a couple of things that uh, um, that that struck me is a lot of times when our organization, and I'm sure similar to you guys, when we talk to retailers and they say, how do we grow our business? How do we grow profitability? You know, I try and break it down or we try and break it down into real simple things. I mean, if you're going to increase top line sales, there's only a few things you could do. You could raise prices. You know, that'll increase your top line sales, might hurt your volume, might hurt, you know, but you can do that. You can sell more to your existing customers or you can get new customers. And that's pretty much the three things you can do to increase your net sales. Then what comes after that is, well, if you want to increase your profitability, how do you increase the efficiencies Mm -hmm. that you're going to generate within your operation and within your relationships? And it sounds like you guys' approach to what you're doing is no different than the day-to-day that, that your retail members are facing is we're addressing these same things. And, and, and Dent, I want to come back to you because, you know, like I was saying earlier is, is I, I don't think I ever thought in my career I would hear distributors, vendors, retailers say, well, we've got too much business. Hmm. But I heard that in the last couple of years of people saying, oh my gosh, I need a break because I've got too much business. And and it sounds like uh, from talking to folks like you, one of the things that we want to prepare ourselves for and and what what it sounds like you guys are preparing for is we never want to be caught in a position where we're saying, hold, hold on, 
so that infrastructure investment, though, that that investment in in ensuring that we can make sure that we're not drinking from a fire hose, that, that it's that it's more of a a, a manageable growth, it, is high on your list. So maybe you could talk us through what are some things like in the coming. And I know you guys are on a on, on a fiscal as opposed to a calendar, but in the coming twelve months, that you guys are going to kind of be focused on on that kind of information technology logistics side. What 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 would you say are your top priorities? Uh, well, I'm going to try to be uh, brief here, Dan, because I've touched on a couple of them, but you know, maybe even to go all the way back to the basics that you mentioned in merchandising, we're really doing some interesting work on analytics. So we're using our technology to really drive um, improved and enhanced analytics to improve both our core assortments, but also customizable assortments for our membership. And that's been a big growth engine for us, as I mentioned earlier. And it helps develop uh, something that Nick mentioned earlier called member profit generators. So it's how do we make more money uh, by having the right relevant products, but also at the right pricing. Uh, and so that's something our merchandising group is going to continue to focus on. Um, and we really are pairing that or making sure that those are in lockstep with our marketing programs to make sure we're not just selling in, we're selling out right. the front door. And, you know, if I, so really that's one big component of what we're doing to win at retail or help our members win at retail. The second thing is really involving the infrastructure that you mentioned. Um, you know, we don't plan to go backwards. You know, yeah. we, we made record sales and we don't plan to go backwards. We're going to do that through new member growth. We're going to do that through improving our share wallet and all those things that Nick mentioned. But in order to do that, we have to deliver those three big technology infrastructure projects on time. So that's a major focus of our team as we get into uh, the next really six to nine months. And then the third is distribution excellence. Not only having enough space, like we talked about in our Oregon warehouse and in, soon to be in others, but also driving that efficiency that you talked about, because we've got to be able to flex up and down. Yeah. You know, not every year yeah. is going to be like the last two or three. So we want to have the upside flexibility, of course, to react to our members' needs, but also be able to operate efficiently regardless of the volume level. But we we don't want to be in a situation where I sat with a number of vendors and I said, what's your plan to recover? And they said, boy, hope things slow down. Um that's a terrible plan. Yeah. And so we're, we're trying to avoid that one at any rate by making all the right investments, but also by enhancing our efficiency along the way. You know, it, it's that's a great point. And it's something that stuck with me for the coming up on 30 years that I've been in the industry. Uh, one of the first retailers I visited who happened to be a do-it-best retailer in the uh, uh, Northeast said that the long-term success of their business was the ability to grow when they needed to grow, but contract when they needed to contract and, and kind of ride that market and be prepared for both. And he said that so many people focus so much time and energy on, on grow, 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 grow. And they never think that, you know, there's going to be times when there's ebbs and flows. So it's, so it's interesting to, to, to hear so many years later that, that, that kind of echoed with you guys. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask about is you, you talk about IT and, and, and infrastructure and, and, and Nick, in your prior role where, where you were solely kind of responsible for, for e-commerce, um, that is, you, you know, you touched on it when you were talking earlier and, and, and I can't imagine whether it's hardware or shoes or sushi so many interactions with retailers right now begin with 
an e-commerce interaction and whether that be via mobile device, which increasingly it looks like mobile is not, I mean, is almost overtaking kind of desktop usage in those areas that, that just a few short years ago, I'm sure you guys were talking to retailers about whether they should have a website for their business. Now it seems like the conversation is, well, how do we move beyond whether you should to what are you doing and what are you going to do with it? So, so could you maybe catch us up a little bit on, on, on some of the e-commerce initiatives, some of those initiatives that you guys are engaging with, where you are and where you think that's headed? Yeah, I would say uh, so. Some of this is going to be to be continued because right. we have a spring market in Orlando coming up <laughs> dun, dun, dun. in a few weeks where this will be a big announcement. Uh, but what I would tell you is this we're focusing on trying to get members on same day in store pickup as quickly as possible. So if that means if your data is not great, how can we help you clean up your data? How can we make sure that you're participating in it? Because brick and mortar. And online sales are not two different approaches. They should be the same. E-commerce is basic. It's an integrated part of successful retailers and businesses that do well do both. And, you know, you said it, it's like a couple years ago, right? And so there could be a tendency for folks to say like, man, this is moving so fast. If I'm not in it now, it's too late. And even when I started in e-commerce a year ago, it's thought, wow, we have a lot of catch up to do because there's people that have a lot more yeah. runway in front of us. And I went to a conference uh, up in Chicago, an e-commerce conference in Chicago, and we're sitting around round tables with people from different industries all over the country. And the first thing they said is like, aren't you excited? I said, for what? And they're like, we're on the bleeding edge of e-commerce. Like, isn't that great? Wow, that really opened my mind. Here's someone who'd been doing e-commerce for 10, 15 years that's going, we're on the bleeding edge of this. And I walked into that conference thinking, I'm going to hear about how we have catch up to do. So it's not too late. You know, customers need to visit stores. They will continue to do that. They're also going to go online. We need to make sure that you're involved in both. So join us for our spring market in Orlando <laughs> to hear some exciting announcements on the future of e-commerce and where we're going some with some big platform changes and different strategy going Fantastic. forward. And one of the things that I put out there is I think for a long time, independent retailers, and I can only speak for our industry, but we're scared. They were, they were, and scared is probably not the right word, but somewhat intimidated by how do I ever compete with Amazon? And there was also a little bit of a, of a, of a misunderstanding of what they needed to be. But now I just, I really think that with the help that, that organizations like Do It Best can provide, independence can really leverage that online interaction because like exactly what you said, customers are wanting to come into the stores to complete their purchases. Yeah. And, and it could be such a benefit. And if, if, and I've said this before on other podcasts, anybody out there that thinks Home Depot or Lowe's have e-commerce figured out, they don't have it figured out. Now they, they've, you know, they're, they're further along, but there is still a great space out there for the independent home improvement retailer to move into e-commerce as an extension of their business. And so it's exciting to hear that you guys continue to press forward in that area. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree with you. And just to reiterate one thing, I believe the hardware channel 
home centers, lumber yards, hardware stores are much better positioned for e-commerce than other industries like grocery oh, yeah. or, or restaurants like we were talking about because you those folks typically don't have the same opportunity for add-on sales. And I think that's going to be a critical. Someone has a project, they didn't order it all online, they wanted to talk to you about something. So get the add-on sale. That does not exist in grocery. No, you get your groceries delivered to your car and you pull away. Right. And you have a bunch of outs that you you know didn't get subs for. And that's the end of it. Well, and hardware is better positioned. And and again, every study you look at, most consumers in that home improvement sphere want to have that affirmation of, "Hey, this is what I ordered online. Is this really kind of what I what I need to finish this project?" Or they want to they're not averse to going to the store at all to pick this stuff up because I mean I know when I go to the hardware store. When I get in the store, I remember those four things that I didn't mm-hmm. have on my list. And so, again, I, I mean, I, I, I will stand on my soapbox for yet another year and say to independent retailers in the home improvement industry, you have to embrace this. And if you're intimidated, if you don't know where to go, you need to talk to, to guys like you to figure out how can we help you get where you need to be because it, you're not in it alone. That's right. Speaking of where we're headed and what's going to happen, I'm going to ask you guys to uh, to uh, take out your uh, uh, Swami hats and do a little bit of present. Since we've got sales, marketing, e-commerce, infrastructure, supply chain covered between you two guys, what do you think? Everybody asks me now. I get calls all the time. Every time we talk to a retailer, everybody says, what should we expect in the coming year? Well, what's what's going on? What's what lies down the road for us? Because we were coming out of two years, like you said, that if you would ask someone five years ago, there's no way they would have predicted what we would go through as an industry. Where are we headed as as we're kind of starting out 2023? Where do you think we're going to go this year? What do you guys see that you think is going to happen in the industry, but also for you guys' organization? Well, maybe from just economically. Maybe I'll start there and then you can take this where you want it to go to. But there's a lot out there. This, the crystal ball for three years has been really cloudy. What's going to happen when the pandemic hit or sales going to tank? And then, oh, my goodness, they shot up. They went exactly the opposite of what everybody thought. And we've had two great years of growth. The economy is still strong. And if you look at some of the economic trends, GDP and that from two years ago, the economy is doing the same thing. We're, we're going to be at a higher level of, of GDP. It might come down a little bit. It might not be as strong as it was, but I believe we're still going to have some good times ahead of us. There are a lot of unknowns. Interest rates rising. What's that going to do? The housing market, for example, Uh, inventory levels. Oh, my goodness. You can't open the Wall Street Journal without hearing about excess inventory at manufacturers and wholesalers and retailers. What's going to happen there? Uh, Are consumers going to pull back? Have they painted every room that there is to paint? Have they bought every grill that there is to buy? Uh, what's going to happen there. And then, you know, the other thing, so we're looking at those, we're keeping an eye on all those, right? But the, the other thing I would say, more specifically to independent home centers, hardware stores, and lumber yards is succession. Dan, you know this. Oh, Dan, you've seen it. it, it you can't open any uh, updates anymore where it's not industry consolidation. 
around us. So all those factors are going to definitely come into play and continue to come into play for this next year. You know, in a strange role reversal, Dan, I'm going to share some good news. Uh, wow. Usually I'm the bad news guy. And <laughs> Nick is the good news guy. But after hearing all that, um, maybe shifting a little bit more sort of internally focused, uh, you know, our number one priority is getting our members the products that they need. I've said that a couple of times. But at the end of the day, we can do a lot of flashy things with e-commerce and marketing and everything else. But if they don't have the product that they need at the right price and when they need it, it's, that's just kind of the core to what we do. So uh, we really are beginning to see some significant improvements in our service level. That's encouraging. Uh, so those products are more and more readily available. And our team is continuing to fight, put members in the best position in their market. But I would say my outlook for 23 is pretty significant continued improvement. We've seen that over the back half of 22. I expect that to continue in 23. And, uh, and uh, we're going to continue to work to get more than our fair share of that product as that becomes available. The other thing is, aside from just the product, really the availability of store fixtures seems to be improving quite a bit. And we've really put ourselves in a good place to surge forward and meet a lot of pent-up demand for a new store design. We talked about all the new members, but also new ground-ups and other renovations going on. We have a signature design program, and it's partnered with the excellent incentives I mentioned earlier to really help more and more of our members engage in developing new-looking space and improving uh, both their existing businesses as well as ground-ups. That's obviously going to get them some new customers. It's going to help them expand market share. And what we're seeing so far is anyone who's doing this is experiencing double-digit growth. So Mm. I see that as a positive in 23. Uh, We're also continuing to invest in those enhanced assortments, combined with those promotional strategies, uh, using that advanced analytics. I see that helping to drive growth in 23. So even with all the uncertainty that Nick mentioned, I'm pretty excited. I'm pretty bullish about what our second half of this fiscal year holds for for our company and for our membership. You know, in addition to, if I were to list Dan's most commonly asked questions, um, where we're going, what's going to happen, how do I budget for the next six months, 12 months, is probably right up there. And shortly after that is how do I find and keep good people for my business? So I, I want to come at this with you guys in a little bit different way and not even necessarily ask you what does a retailer need to find and keep good people, but but I want to kind of springboard off. You guys are an employer. You guys have people that you want to find and, and retain. So what are you guys doing that, that our listeners might take a tip from or, or learn from? What do you guys do? I mean, in this labor market that is so tight, that is different sets of demands, you know, you want to talk about, again, about paradigm shifts. Over the last two years, we've gone through another, yet another paradigm shift um, on on the way labor and, and employees and employers interact. What is Do It Best doing that the, the listeners might say, oh, yeah, that could work for me, too? Well, this is a complex one, and I, I promise I'll get around to an answer here in a minute, but just bear with me uh, while I share a little bit of context. You know, we've recently moved into a new open office concept, uh, really just a couple of months ago, and we saw that as a way to enhance our company culture and our team engagement, and we literally, Dan, we just tore down the walls. We tore down the walls. We're an open office concept. And we're already seeing significant improvements in innovation, collaboration, uh, even efficiency. You know, when I when I 
can work quickly look over and say, hey, look, I can see Joe in his cube. I can run over and talk to him really mm-hmm. quickly. In our, in our old space, we just didn't have that availability. It was harder to know if someone was around. It wasn't as easy to, to communicate. Uh, and so now it's kind of effortless, and we're seeing huge, huge benefits to that. So that really gave us an opportunity to rethink a little bit, not only about how we're working together, but also where do we place people? Mm-hmm. You know, so gave us a hit. We got a chance to hit the reset button. And when do you really ever get a chance to do that in, in a large corporate environment? But we had our chance. And so we said, okay, where should our divisions be aligned? So not all of marketing is sitting in the same area anymore. But right. a big part of our marketing team, our store design team that we've referenced here today, they're sitting right next to our sales team now because that's who they interact with the most. And what's interesting is, you know, we just had a project last week where we said, gosh, our IT team or a segment of our IT team really needs to be sitting right next to the business owners that are driving this huge infrastructure project. Well, we're thinking right now about how to reposition everyone's seating in the next two weeks. Oh. And that that's something that we can do in this environment that we simply won't be able to or we weren't able to do very easily uh, in our old environment. And, you know, when we first announced this sort of open office concept, you know, change is hard. Sure. Uh, there were people who really liked their tall cubicle walls and, and divided spaces. Uh, but I think now that we've had a couple of months under our belt, I have a hard time believing that many people want to go back to where we were before. So I told you I'd answer your question. How in the world is all that helping us? Well, I think it's a better place to work day in and day out. People right. are excited to be here. But beyond that, our HR team really has been actively promoting this uh, to prospective team members. And that started even a year and a half, two years ago when it was announced that we were moving into the space. And we've had tremendous recruiting success there. And I think as people do get engaged, they do become a part of our team. They see and get to experience firsthand that culture that that we have here that we feel like is a real competitive advantage. So in summary, I guess, it's job satisfaction for our existing team, but also an attractive, cool environment uh, for new team members that we're promoting actively in the marketplace. Well, you know, something that really uh, resonates with me on that is is the fact that when I hear a lot of people, and there's no doubt that the, the way you have to find people and what what, what you have to do to uh, to uh, keep them and, and keep them motivated has changed. But when I hear people who just will say, well, you, you can't hire good people anymore, I, I like to turn that around and say, well, you can't hire good people with the environment you've created and the wages you're willing to pay and the, and the, and the, uh, and the situation you've created. Because I hear a lot of people out there that say, no, we, got, we, can, we can find good people. People want to work for us. So, it's, so it's, it's really refreshing to hear taking an inward look at what do we do to create an environment that is more in tune with what our employees want and where they want to go in some place you know, kind of looking around these new offices, something I'm sure you guys, if you haven't seen it yet, will start to see is people bringing their families and spouses and saying, hey, I'm really proud of my workplace. And you guys have really created a, a an exciting place that that isn't like it was a year ago or two years ago or 20 years ago. Uh, that that really helps us, not just you know, kind of in the in the logistics of it, but also in a place that you could be proud of. And so, congratulations on a on a beautiful new facility, guys. Um, one of the things that is near and dear to us at NHPA, and we appreciate certainly uh, because of your partnership and support of a lot of the efforts we engage in as an association, is is training. 
uh, employee training and the importance of that, not only in creating uh, better employees to engage with, but also giving them the tools they need to advance themselves. Why don't you talk to us, maybe Nick, you could touch on a little bit about kind of that training organization, organizational kind of efforts here in and around Do It Best. Yeah. And to go back a little bit, we used to have services for helping with members and their training of staff. And yeah. We've had that for a while. Uh, some of it was probably in need of a refresh. So a few years ago, I worked with some folks back when I was in the sales division, basically trying to solve that member need, that independent retailer need on how do I train employees? And it could be on cash register, it could be operations, it could be how do you sell paint, uh, financial understanding, those kinds of mm -hmm. levels of training. And so we put together what we call the Do It Best Learning Zone, which right now we have over 7,000 folks that, you know, member owners, their team, 7,000 of them that have signed up for this since its launch, which was about a right. year ago. And it's, it's been cool. We've, we've created courses ourselves to help members. We've partnered, like you said, with the NHPA right. to have some already great content that was out there, just another way to get it to our members. And then vendors. Uh, one that comes to mind is the Sherwin-Williams Academy. So we've partnered with them as well. And we're partnering with us. We're always adding to the, the database of, of things. Now, that's a kind of uh, on-the-floor training. Yeah. So we do that. But then we also do management-level training. So we have uh, a couple times a year what's called Leadership Development Institute. We do it here in Fort Wayne. We bring members. These are typically managers, maybe even the owners. Uh, they come in and we provide them the tools and concepts to understand why people do what they do, how leaders can effectively manage themselves, their team, and their business. And then we also have specialty trainings as well. And the one that, that pops into my head is the LBM Academy. So that's, you know, whether you're a store associate or a designer, a manager, an owner, the LBM Academy offers something for everyone to drive growth for home centers to lumber yards. So kind of multiple avenues that we partner with our members to provide training. And, and again, I'll underscore that that you guys, we, we you've been very open to, to uh, working with us on programs and you've even opened your doors for some of our people to come and experience some of your programs. And you guys are really doing some unique, different stuff as it as a, I think the LBM Academy is a great example of, of that is something that is elevating that 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 leadership and those workers that are out there that is so important for independent retailers for, for so long. Independent retailers say we have the people, we have the service, we, we, we provide this. But if you don't keep training and you don't keep yeah. engaging them and you don't keep challenging, not only aren't you going to be able to offer your customers that service, but those employees that you want to keep and retain and keep motivated are just going to say, they don't give me the tools I need to kind of get better. And no one, no employee wants to engage with a customer where they feel like they don't know what the, what, what answer to provide the customer. So, so uh, again, uh, uh, kind of a, a shout out to what you guys are doing because you're doing some really unique things. So thank you for pointing some of those out. Gentlemen, this time goes quick. Like I told you before we even uh, started recording, uh, the time goes by uh, faster than you think it would. Is there anything else that we didn't touch on today that you guys would like to make sure we get in before we uh, uh, close the mics? You know, Dan, other than that, I've probably said uh, way too much, but really just excited to get after it now and start executing yeah. on our plans. Um, and really happy to have the opportunity that we have to continue to support our members as they grow explosively, we believe, in the years to come. And uh, super excited to be working alongside Nick to help 
uh, make that happen along with our entire Do It Best team. Fantastic. Totally agree. Thank you guys so much for the time. I really appreciate it and look forward to heading down to Orlando to see you at the market. Thanks. Sounds good. See you, Dan.